just a little bit. Um, trust that you're ready to worship because that's what we came here to do and to sing praises to God. If you'd stand with us as we begin our service, we'll have prayer and enjoy some great hymns and uh, scripture songs this morning. So pray with me if you would. Father, we do thank you for today. Thank you for this week. Um, each one of us recognizes that uh, you have brought us through. All kind of things could have happened that didn't. And in my case, a lot of good things happened that probably wouldn't if it weren't for you. I see your blessings every day as you lead my life, as you provide for me a good job, a nice home to live in. Uh, all of us recognize that we are blessed beyond measure. You give us exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. You lavish your gifts on us. And that's not even looking at in Ephesians where it talks about all the spiritual blessings we have, of forgiveness of sins and fellowship with Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And looking forward to one day being in your presence, changed into your image and living forever with you in the heavenly city. Those things are beyond our comprehension and none of us deserves any of those. It is all simply because of your grace and mercy, your desire to love us and give us all these things. So we praise you for that. We pray this morning as we sing these hymns these spiritual songs, these scripture songs, that you would take the words and make them real in our hearts. We don't want to just be singing words up here just because the melody sounds pretty or the words rhyme, but the fact that we're singing about the mighty power of God and how you love us, how you watch over us, that uh, the words have become real and we would recognize our relationship with you in them. So use these songs, your word this morning, and our fellowship together to lift us all in Jesus. Amen. Amen. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise. Um, I don't know if you've ever been out hiking in the mountains. You get up on the edge and you start looking down and you look out. There are certain ranges up in North Carolina. You can see three and four states as you look out. It's just amazing of what God has created. And to sit and marvel and worship. I sing the mighty power of God. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas apart and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to the day. The moon shines forth at his command, and all the stars obey. 
I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. He formed the creatures with His word and then pronounced them good. Lord, how Thy wonders are displayed where I turn my eyes. If I survey the ground I tread, There's not a plant or flower below that makes thy glories known. And clouds arise and tempests blow by order from thy throne. While all that borrows life from thee is ever in thy Most amazing things to me is to look up at the sky whenever it's fixing to rain and see the you know those black rain clouds. Realize there's billions of gallons of water in there just floating in the air that God does, and then rains on us. It blows my mind every time I think about that. Psalm 86: Teach me your way, and I will walk in your truth. Our desire should be as we look in God's Word for Him to show us who He is, what He desires of us that we could walk in the truth that he has us. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear, my heart to fear thy name. And I will give thanks to the O Lord my God with all my heart. And I will glorify thy name, O Lord, thy name forevermore. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will Scripture song, 
Psalm 55, telling us to cast our burdens upon the Lord. It reminds me of James when he says to take your burdens and lay them over on Jesus. The idea is to, I guess, recline on his breast and just trust that everything is in his hands, to cast our burdens upon the Lord. Uh, the lady, when we, We'll sing it all together the first time. The ladies will sing uh, the first part of the verse um, the second time and the men the third, and I'll lead you with that. Cast thy burdens upon the Lord and he shall sustain me. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. As for I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save one of the newer hymns that have been written. Um, I, it says 1997 on it, which is uh, still 20-something <laughs> years ago, but it's newer than most of the hymns in our hymnals. Love That Will Not Let Me Go, and um, 
I don't know about you, but I've sensed that in my life there are times that I haven't been as close to God as I should have been, that I've strayed away. I've decided I wanted to try something on my own, but God has never, ever let me go. He pursues us. He desires us to be in a relationship with him, and when we go away, he draws us back. The picture of the father and the prodigal son who runs to his son to embrace him. Love that will not let us go. Steve comes up um, with a message. This is a song of dedication, all of us seeking to let God have our lives and take our lives and use us. I always thought it so ironic in Hebrews when he says, or uh, Romans when he says that, Our life is supposed to be a living sacrifice. And I always heard it said, the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. So we don't want to stay there. We don't want to be completely given to Jesus Christ. But that's what this song's all about. Take my life and let it be. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. 
ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee, filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use Every power as thou shalt choose Every power as thou shalt choose Take my will and make it thine It shall be no longer mine Take my heart, it is thy own, it shall be thy royal throne, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Good morning. Today's reading is in Isaiah chapter 55, starting at verse 6 and ending at verse 13. Um, feel free to read along in a Bible you brought with yourself or one in the pew or uh, just be blessed by listening. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace, and the mountains and the hills will break forth in shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up, and instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up, and it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. Father God, help us to seek you and to forsake our wicked ways and our unrighteous thoughts. And for you have compassion and love for your children. Thank you for your word, which always fulfills the purpose in bringing people to your son Jesus and in teaching those who follow you the way to be like Jesus. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to worship you in music, in the reading of your word, and the preaching of the same. Thank you for giving us a pastor who loves you, who loves his flock, and who loves your word. I pray that you would put in his mind what you would have him teach us and help us to have ears to hear and take to heart uh, what, what, he will, what, I, what we will hear. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. Great to see you all here at Hope Bible Church this fifth day of June, flying through the year. Indeed, God gives us his days, his months, his years. We thank him for that. Last week I had mentioned about, you know, this, this shooting in Evalde and, and why that happens. And a lot more than more tragic things happened. I was, went to school, my name's Iowa, a long time ago, 50 years ago. And there's a shooting there Thursday night. It was really sad. Uh, there's a big Christian megachurch on the east side of town right off the interstate. And uh, it was 7 o'clock at night or so, right before 7, and there's two young ladies, college students there at Iowa State, and they were going in, and this guy comes in his pickup truck, pulls out his pistol, and shoots them dead. Very, very sad. But what I understand, and I have to just, I'm just summing this up here very quickly, is, is that those two young ladies uh, knew the truth knew Jesus, were saved, and that was their last day on earth, and they took off for heaven. That's what we have to understand. 
The shooter, I don't believe, was. I mean, how could a, a Christian ever do something like that? And he went the other way. And so, but that's the truth. And, and, and the truth is what helps us in situations like this. We have to know the truth. We have to understand the truth. Uh, otherwise, we've got problems. Why don't you turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. Look at some very well-known verses. You've all heard these, I'm sure, for years and years. John 8, verse 30, and 30, 30 to 32. It says in verse 30, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Verse 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you, are, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Again, well-known verses. It was, I said, about 50 years ago. I was at Iowa State in the campus library. This might be true to a lot of libraries. You look up at the top part of the library there on the wall, and it has these words, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And I'm sure many, many people read those verses. I'm sure that most people did not understand what it really meant. The key word in that verse, this verse here, that phrase is the word truth. And throughout history, there's been a great deal of discussion and debate among people as to what the truth is. People have wanted to find the truth, to discover the truth. It helps them to know how they can rationally live or live a productive life, a successful life, and really then they would say have peace in this world. People have been wanting to find the truth. You might remember in John Pilate talking to Jesus, what is truth? So it's been a question talked about through the years and through different generations. People have thought about this and come up with their ideas. Back in the 1700s, there was an era that started, it was called the Age of Reason or the age of enlightenment, and, and it centered on man's reason, on man's wisdom, on man's ideas of the truth. But the sad thing, for the most part, these people back then, the 1700s, cut, got out of the picture. He wasn't part of this discussion. The leaders and the philosophers and moderners of this day, uh, uh, moderners of that day, as they were called, were once again who were trying to discover the truth as it related to religion and science and government and really all ways of living. So they came up with their definitions of truth back then. They came up with their philosophies and their ideas. Then you come to the 1800s and 1900s, there's a lot of wars, and you have the two big wars in the 1900s, World War I, World War II, and this age of reason wasn't working out so good. But now we're in the postmodern era. That's what many people, people who are religion, into religion or philosophy call this error. Foundations of this, which started about 100 years ago, the early 1900s, and the, the outworking, the effects, that the fruits of this wrong kind of thinking really started being more visibly seen in the 1960s, and many of you recall this, that's when they said that, hey, God is dead, you know, that magazine article, Time magazine, is God dead, and and, of course, that's when the Supreme Court decision children couldn't pray in school or at least prohibited from publicly praying. That's when they really started teaching evolution in earnest. And In fact, I watched a movie. This is a number of years ago, but it was 1960, a Spencer Tracy, and a really, really sad movie for me. It got me upset. But it's called Inherit the Wind, and Spencer Tracy was a lawyer basically promoting the teaching of evolution in schools. That's what it was about. And they really made the, the Christians look bad, the ones who wanted to teach creation. It was just sad because the put-down in Christianity. But that's what was going on. That was 1960. And, of course, that's when church uh, attendance started declining as well. What I recall, and I don't recall what I have heard from our history, 
is that back in the, the, the 60s, that's when this church was just busting out at the seams, just packed. Sunday school rooms all filled up, and this is overflowing, this church here. I mean, it was a lot of attendance. I don't know when the church attendance from this church actually started to decline, whether it's in the 60s or probably for sure then in the 70s. But that's when general church attendance has been declining, this postmodern era. Postmodernists say there's no absolute truth. Okay? That's the bottom line. Everything's relative. You have situational ethics. That means the truth depends on the situation that you're in, what's going on, the culture you're in. That is truth then can change over time. That's what postmodernists believe. And the only thing we can know for certain about, know for certain then, is that nothing is certain. That's how people like this would think. And, and a lot of people like, like this postmodernism because then, then you're free to do whatever you want to do. And it oftentimes goes so much on feelings, not on fact and not on truth. That is, there's no absolute truth that tells me what I can or cannot do. So if you understand that, it helps you understand what's going on in our culture today. People are free to do whatever they want. There's no real right and wrong. It's up to what you personally believe. That's, that's how people think. But this has been going on for thousands of years. The last verse of Judges uh, covered a period of 350 years or so, around uh, 1300, 1200 B.C. But the last verse of the whole book says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay, And that's pretty much what we see going on today with the, the non-Christian culture. Many of these people call themselves pragmatists. That is, you do what works, whatever works, you know, and justify the means. You've heard this before. Many of these people are what we call libertarians. That is, you're free to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. A couple of verses. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. A lot of verses to counter this in the Bible. I just want to read a couple here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Verse 19, 1 Corinthians 1 says, It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Whether it's postmodernism or modernism, age of reason, hey, the foolishness. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world, for since in the wisdom of the world, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God is well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. But they were rejecting God, and then, of course, with that, they're rejecting the message that God had. And so both modernists and, and postmodernists believe in this truth that, hey, let's eliminate God from the picture. And with that, then, let's eliminate morality and promote immorality. Again, people going by what they feel like they want to do. And people like this, and again, don't believe in absolute truths, but as Christians, we know there are absolute truths, that we understand that, truths that then never, never change. I mean, you can go back 4,000 years, and you can read in the Bible about Abraham. There's certain truths that he believed and applied to his life. And here we are 4,000 years later, and we're believing and applying the same truths. That's what we must understand. There are absolutes. There are absolute truths that never change. There's simply, there's a couple here, there's the truth of creation. That's true. It's not evolution. That's a bunch of baloney. There's the truth of creation. There's the truth that God made man in his image, a very important truth in, in today's world that we need to understand. There's the truth that God made men and women. That's it, men and women. 
There's a truth, this is all Genesis 1, there's a truth that, that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's it. There's a guy watching TV, it's this little clip, he's doing a little podcast or something on what is a woman. So he's going around interviewing people on what is a woman, and that's one of the questions these days, you know, what is a woman? I'm not gonna, we, all know what a, we all know what a woman's here, right? We all know what men are. But there's a truth, it's the absolute truth, and people reject that truth for their own thinking, their own foolish, foolish ideas. Of course, there's the truth of sin. We see this in Genesis 2, sin of death that results that. This is verse 18, Genesis, Genesis 2, 17, rather. And the truth that Jesus Christ prophesied in Genesis 3 would come to save people from their sins. So all these truths are very important. Now, some people would say Christians are intolerant, for we believe in the Bible. We don't tolerate people's views and their truths, or their ideas, their ways of thinking. And, and the point is this, is as Christians, we, we know, as Christians, we know there are absolute truths, and we must believe these, and we must live by these, but at the same time, we must be ones who are patient and compassionate, and in one hand, tolerant, gentle towards people, speaking the truth in love. This, this verse, I thought of this one, you know this one, Matthew 11. Jesus said this, come to me, all you who are weary, and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. So Jesus is like that. He, he treats people very lovingly and kindly. If you're in your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, last couple verses. Again, say the same thing. When we're talking to people who are unbelievers who don't believe in the truth, how do we talk? What do we say? It's very simple. There's other verses like this, but this is, this is a good one. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Understanding that people are enslaved to their sin and held captive to the devil, we should then speak the truth in love. Back to John chapter 8. Let's start working our way through these verses here. John chapter 8. Again, we'll look at verse 31 and 32. John 8, 31, 32. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Many Jews, it says, there came, says, came to believe in Jesus. But the question, and a valid one, and we'll see what happens here, is that, that did they really believe? Were they really saved? Were they really ones who had eternal life or not? So Jesus then starts talking to these Jews who said they had believed, and he explains then what it means in these verses to be a true believer, to be, to be a true disciple. And he says it all relates then to the truth of God's word. That's what he's talking about. And God wants us to know that not all people who say they're saved, not all people who say they're believers, not all people who go to church are saved. I think we understand that, but God's sort of making it clear here, too. Mark 4, a few examples, talks about the word that was sown on the rocky soil. It says that the people heard the word and received the word, but then when the tough times came, when persecution came, they fell away. That is, they weren't really saved. And we understand in John 6, 
60 to 66, talks about people who called themselves disciples of Jesus, but they must not really believe the truth because they stopped following Jesus. They, too, are not real true believers, ones who are truly saved. James 2, verse 17 says, Even so, faith, if it has no works, indeed is dead, being by itself. A person, person can say that he has faith, that he is a believer, but if he does not have good works, if there's not fruit in his life, then he's not saved. He's not a believer. He's not a true disciple of Christ. 1 John 2, verse 19 says, They went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. So there's some people there in the church, the congregation, and they were with them, but then they left. He says those kind of people, they, they left and really weren't saved. John 8, 31 again, it says, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. Okay, just one simple statement. Now this, this if you continue in my word, that's, that, that's, that's not a condition for salvation. It's not saying it's a means of salvation, but rather continuing in God's word is a sign, is an evidence of a person who is truly saved, who is a believer, one who then is truly a Christian. John 15, verse 7 and 8 says, If you abide in my word, abide in me and my words, words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So you see this connection of, again, the truth. My word then has to abide in you. That's what he's saying right there. So a true Christian then doesn't just know, um, just doesn't just know the word, but he loves and obeys the word. This is a very, very, very important point. First John, in fact, turn there. First John two. Look at a couple verses here. First John chapter two, verses four and five. First John, right before Jude, right before the book of Revelation. Verses 4 and 5 of 1 John, chapter 2. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Ones then who know the word and then who obey the word. That's what he's saying. Turn back to James, just a, a few pages back. James chapter 1, 21 and 22. He says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So again, a true believer is one who, who knows the word and does what God says. First Peter 2.2 2 says, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. And so if you have a, a person who says he's a Christian, but he does not love God's word and obey God's word, then you have to really question, does he, is he really saved or not? That you, have to, you have to wonder that that's, that, that thought can and probably should be in our mind. And, and this, the idea is simple. I mean, true Christians are ones who worship God and love God and love his word. Ones who aren't Christians don't worship God, don't love God, don't love his word, aren't really followers then of Christ. And so... A person who's in this, these verses then in John 8, then a person who is a disciple is a learner. 
In this context, he's one who is learning from Jesus. He's hanging on and holding on to the teachings of Jesus, and therefore he then is one who is a follower of Jesus. He, he sees Jesus as his Savior, but also as his Lord, and he knows what Jesus says, but he also knows what he commands him to do. So he sees Jesus then as his Lord, and he then does what his Lord wants him to do. It says in, in Matthew I think it's seven. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, um, will be in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does the will of my Father, he will be in the kingdom of, of God. Back to John. I'm going to be reading these verses really repeatedly here because they're so important. There's so many truths that we can pull from these verses. John 8, 31 and 32, again, Jesus was saying to those who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So the person who continues in the truth then knows the truth, and this truth then is from God's word, and God's word is filled with truth that we as Christians need to know and understand and believe and apply to our lives. I said four words very quickly. Let me go over them again and give you a little mnemonic to help you memorize them. Cuba, not C. Cuba, K, K, U, B, A. K, K is, is, is no. Know the word. U is understand the word. B is believe the word. A is apply it. Cuba, never forget that. So we talk about the word of God. Do you know what it says? Do you understand what it says? Do you believe what it says? Do you apply it then to your life? Cuba, K, U-B-A. And it's the Holy Spirit who teaches a person the truth. We sure can't learn the truth on our own. We sure can't obey the truth on our own. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes, as Christians, we can get frustrated because we're struggling, but not really trusting, praying, Spirit, help me, help me. Turn to John 14. John 14, Jesus, of course, is, this is his last big message to them there that night before he was uh, crucified, and he was talking a lot about, you know, of course, tell me, leave me. He's talking a lot about this, the spirit here, in John fourteen, sixteen and seventeen. He says, "I will ask the Father; He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of Truth, whom the word world cannot receive, because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you." So you see this connection. Here's the Holy Spirit; He's your Helper, but it's talking about the truth. He wants to help you understand the truth and know the truth and, and obey the truth. We go to John 15, verse 26, and he says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. That is, he'll, he'll help the people understand, help us as believers understand this truth. So again, the Spirit of truth, we go to John 16, verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative. But whoever hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. So, so you see it's obvious, this connection between the Holy Spirit and the truth, and that our understanding, our comprehension, and our ability to, to apply the truth, to obey it, is, is by the Holy Spirit. It's key. So I, I just wanted to mention that briefly, because you, 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 in this... John 8 is not there, but it's John 14, 15, 16, of course, many other places as well. We continue then. As you learn the truth then, it becomes the basis for our way of thinking, our new way of living and talking. And what God wants the truth to do is to change and replace our old way of thinking, our old way of living, our old way of talking. 
Turn on your um, Bibles to Romans 12. Steve briefly mentioned this verse here, at least one phrase from this verse about sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2, and this is, there's been 11 chapters of truth uh, mentioned in Romans, and there's some application verses, but the application really comes in, in chapter 12. This is the key verse. And so, therefore, in view of all that you've heard in this truth here, I urge you, verse 1, 12, 1, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. A key verse. That verse 2, particularly. Verse 1 sets the stage. Don't be conformed, be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our minds. So as God's word changes and transforms your mind, then you're able to do God's will, to do what he wants you to do, to speak what he wants you to speak, to speak to think the way he wants you to think. So it's basically by your mind being renewed. Many verses on this, three I want to pick. Go to Psalm 119, verse 30 to 32. Psalm 119, verses 30, 31, 32. gives a little, a three-verse little outline here of, of what God wants you to do with the truth. Psalm 119 verses 30 to 32 says, I've chosen the faithful way. I've placed your ordinances or your truth before me. I cling to your testimonies or to your truth. O Lord, do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of your commandments for you will enlarge my heart. So there's a little progression here. Let me just go through this. This then again tells us how to get truth to be part of your life. And that's what I want to share here, this is critical. If, if we can talk about things that are important, this is one of the top four or five, how God's truth can become a part of your life. And he, and he, he mentions it here, he explains it a little bit. First, he says we need to choose the truth. That's verse 30, I've chosen. Choose the truth, which means you need to choose the truth over lies. This world is filled with lies. The devil, of course, he's the father of lies. We'll see that later in John chapter 8. And of course, there's lies in our own hearts and souls, okay? So it's choosing the truth over lies. That's, that's the point here. Now, let me give you just a simple example we'll work through here. Let's say you're going along through the day and, and, and you're tempted to believe this lie that God isn't good, okay? It's happened to every one of us, and probably on a somewhat regular basis. You know, something happens, some circumstance, some problem, some trial. And, and you may not hear that voice in your head, that temptation from the devil, but you sense it, and God's not good here. So you're tempted to believe this lie that God isn't good. So what do you need to do at that time? You need to choose to believe the truth that God is good. That's all. Very simple. This is a very simple thing. You choose to believe, hey, God is good. And you may not feel like it. You may feel like you just got kicked in the gut. You may feel like, man, that's one of the worst things ever happened to me. God isn't good. He can't be good. There's no way. You got to that time, not go by how you feel, but hey, what's God say in this word? Many verses, let's pick Psalm 100, verse 5. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Okay, or Romans 8, 28, he's working out that particular situation. That may have been a bad situation. He's working all things together for good. So God is good, and he works all things together for good. So that's the point. You've got to choose that truth to believe. You've got to know what the lie is, and you've got to choose the truth, what God says in his word. Choose the truth from God's word over the lie that comes from your flesh, the world, the devil, whatever, wherever it may happen. All right, another one. This is a real simple one, too. 
let's say you're tempted someday to believe that God doesn't love you, okay? It's happened to every one of us on a, probably one of the most common temptations. Oh, God doesn't love you. Again, you don't hear the voice, but that's what's coming through your feelings. That's how you're sensing it. You know, he doesn't love me. We've got to choose to believe the truth that God loves you. Many verses, I like Psalm 136, 22 times, it says his loving kindness is everlasting, okay? That's the truth, regardless of how you feel, regardless of the situation, the circumstance, what somebody said or something that happened to you. Back to Psalm 119, verse 31. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord, do not let me be put to shame. I cling, I cling. You cling to God's testimonies, to his word, to his truth. That is, you need to keep believing the truth that God is good. You need to keep believing the truth that God is loving. Okay, So you choose it. You make that choice. I'm going to believe this truth that God is loving. I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to keep believing this truth. And as you cling, as you hold to these truths about God's goodness or love or any other truth for that matter, then that truth becomes your thinking. Got it? Replacing the old with the new. The old way of thinking, the lies, replaces that lie, changes it, transforms to the truth. Okay, And in some ways, what's really going on is your, is, is, is your mind and and heart is being spiritually hardwired. Okay, that's what's going on. And so then you're believing the truth and you're holding on to it, you know, and, and more and more then you're not doubting God's love or goodness. And so some kind of thing happens and right away, hey, no, God's good. I, I know that was a problem. That was difficult. That was a bad situation, whatever. And, but, but you're tend to starting to believe it, you know, and continue to believe it. It's getting part of your spiritual psyche, so to speak, and your heart and your mind, and, and you're getting these convictions. And verse 32 then, I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. The person who chooses God's truth then clings to it, hangs on to it then, is a growing Christian. Is, is, is becoming mature. That's, that's what we're saying here. These areas of, of God's goodness and love, for example, here, or any other truth, then, then you know they're true. You believe they're true. You have these solid convictions, okay? And, 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 and you're strong enough now where you can even tell others. You, you feel so strongly about how God is good and loving that now you're telling others that God is good and loving, okay? And you're seeing, as a Christian, victory in your life. There's a verse that sums this up very well. I, I love this verse. 1 John 2, 14 says, You young men or young women. He's talking spiritually speaking. There's a spiritual pattern there. You young men are, are strong because the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Three things. You're strong. Why? Because the word of God lives in you. Result being then you've overcome the evil one, the devil, his temptations, his lies that he spouts out to you. Very important. And again, it's by God's spirit, as I mentioned before, his grace that you can choose the truth, cling to the truth, and then run the way that God wants you to run the race for Christ. Now back to John 8, verse 32. I'm going to read this one. John 8, verse 32. You shall know the truth. The truth will make you free. Okay? This relates to what we just talked about. If you know the truth, the truth is in your head and in your heart and in your soul, then it says you will be free. You'll be free. Free from sin, free from the flesh, free from the world, free from the devil. Free. And we're talking on a spiritual plane here. I think you all understand that. Free. Wonderful truth. You'll be spiritually then mature Christian. 
a spiritually grown-up Christian. We all understand the, the, the analogy, the example of a child. He's young, physically speaking. He grows up, and, you know, every person's a parent wants their children to be grown-ups, to be adults, have adult thinking and do adult things and have a job and provide for them. We all understand that. And the same, too, we're talking about Christians. God wants every Christian to be an adult Christian. And, and, and what he's saying here is part of that. He's one who holds on to the truth. The truth is part of his whole being, and that's how he lives. That's how he thinks. That relates then to all that he does. And so, a person be free. And particularly, we're talking about free from sin, free from worry, free from doubt, free from fear. Every one of us here worry, right? You all worry? Okay. That can be a problem. For some people, it's a huge problem. But God doesn't want it to be a problem. That doesn't mean as you go through life and you're a mature Christian, you'll never, ever worry. You will. But basically, you're not a worrier. You're not that kind of a person. You're not one given to fear. You're not one who doubts because you're mature, because you've believed in the Lord, you've got his truth, and that's God's helping you, okay? You'll be free from impurity, guilt, condemnation. Be free from jealousy or slander, bitterness, discouragement, or really anything that's wrong or sinful or bad. And so that's the idea. It's a very general point that's made there in John chapter 8, but he's talking about freedom from sin, freedom in a spiritual perspective. That's, that's what he wants us to know there. John 17, 17, I mentioned this truth before, point before about how can we be ones who um, be a grown-up Christian, and this verse sort of says the same thing. It says, sanctify them. This is Jesus' prayer. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. We're made holy. We grow. We can be free from sin and live a holy life by the truth. That is, by God's word. So again, the equating of God's word with the truth. That's what we're talking about here. When it says John 8, the truth, we're talking about the truth of God's word. That's, that's, that's clear. And so, so it's by the truth, the truth which we find in God's Word And so then our thinking has to be what I would call word-based thinking, not worldly-based thinking or fleshly-based thinking or devilishly-based thinking, but rather word-based thinking. This happens as we meditate on the Word of God. This is such an important truth. We've talked about this many times. It relates to what I just said there in Romans 12, 2, having your mind transformed. The thought is in is John, excuse me, Psalm 1, verse 2. Uh, Joshua chapter 1, this book of the law shall not depart from mouth, but you shall meditate on it. That's just a nice word for think. And what do you think about? And, and the most important thing that you can think about every day of your life is the truth of God's word. And this is really easy for you to evaluate. You know, as you, at the end of a day, just go, at the end of a day, it's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, think, now how did I do today to thinking about God's word? You get the morning, it says, okay, my, one of my main objectives today is to think about God's word. Okay, and so you have God's word. It may be written someplace. It might be in your desk. It might be in your wall. You know, it might be in your head. You memorize it. You're thinking about God's word. This is critical. This is key then. Meditating on, the God, on God's word then is that which it affects and transforms our thinking. That's what it does. And it becomes our thinking. And then we can continue then in God's word, thinking that way and live holy and fruitful lives. That is what is being said. I want you to turn to Psalm 119. I'm just going to read this briefly. At some time, I'd like to do a study on this. There's many of these sections in Psalm 119 that I would like to. This is, this is in terms of the subject today, this is maybe one of the best. And I'm not even going to, I'm just going to read through it, okay? But you can read this again yourself and think about how you can use these thoughts here because it really relates to many different facets of the word and how God wants us to react to it, respond to it, think about it. But Psalm 119, verses 9 to 6, I'll just read it. 
How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word, to your truth. With all my heart I've sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might, may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I rejoice in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Boy, that's good. I'm, I'm tempted to start going through that, but I won't. You, you, you go through that yourself again, but there's so many points that are just relevant to what we're talking about today. Back to John, chapter 8. We're going to move on to verses 30, 33 to 36. John 8, 33. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So the son makes you free. You will be free indeed. Jesus was talking to them about being free. And the Jews, they thought they were free. They didn't think that they were slaves of anyone or anything. And they were thinking more, really, I believe, about their religious life, their, you know, their their ethnicity, hey, we're Jews, hey, man, we're Jews. You look at our skin color, you know, that's who we are. We're, we've got this Jewish religion, it's that religion. But we all know this, and Jesus wanted them to know, it's not by your religion or church, that's not how you get saved, it's not by your ethnicity, you know, your race or your skin color, that has nothing to do with it at all. It's, that's not it. I mean, there's, and there's many people that grow up like this, and hey, I'm a Baptist, or I'm a, I'm a Lutheran, or a Episcopalian, or I'm a Catholic, you know, and, and that's, that's what's key. And, and that's what saves me, because I'm this Catholic person, and I'm a Baptist person. I go to church every Sunday. No, it's not it at all. Not at that. It's the Son sets you free. So the Jews thought they were free, but they didn't realize that they weren't free, but in fact then were slaves to sin. Verse 8, 34 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A very important verse. Truly, truly, of course, we know that's that, those two words for emphasis. Emphasis. And, 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 and what he says here, then, is very important. And Jesus is telling these Jews that they're slaves to sin. They're not free. That's a pretty strong thing to say. He's talking to these Jewish people and probably a lot of Pharisees there and religious leaders and stuff. And, hey, you're slaves to sin. You're not free. <laughs> that was really... That, that was uh, really an attack upon them. But it's the right thing to say. And, of course, when you're a slave, then you're controlled by someone or by something. This the standard example, I'll say, let's say a person is addicted to something like alcohol, okay? Okay, you probably all know somebody who's been addicted to alcohol. Pretty common in this country. It means the person is a slave to alcohol. The alcohol controls him. The alcohol is his master. That's all we're saying here. The sin is your master. And, and Jesus is saying then that, that, that a person who sins, a person who is a sinner, is enslaved to that sin. That sin is his master. And, of course, we can expand this. I'll give you a few examples quickly here. We're all aware of these things here. It can be a love of money. This one person, let's say some sinner, and money controls him. Money is his master, Okay. It could be a love of sports. There's a lot of guys out there. Man, sports is their master. It can be a love of video games. A lot of young people, video games are their master. 
It can be enslaved to pleasure. A lot of people, they live for pleasure. Pleasure is their master. Or food. A lot of people, and we all know this, man, food is their master. Or drugs. And we, you know, the drug problem in our country, I can't remember the numbers. I look at them once in a while, but I think I heard 100,000 people died with overdose of drugs last year. I mean, these people are addicted to drugs. The drugs killed them. The sin can't kill you. It kills you spiritually. It can also kill you physically. That's very, very sad. People are addicted to, of course, to food, to TV, to movies, addicted to other things, like I said before, to fear or worry. There's things like that. Just, it's like an addiction. And most sinners don't realize that they are slaves to sin. These Jews here didn't think they were slaves to sin. They didn't think that way at all. And, and um, they thought they were doing fine. They were on the right track, heading to heaven, but didn't know they were on the wrong track, headed to hell. But that's the way it is. I mean, it's really sad. I remember growing up back in the 60s and early 70s there in Carolina. It was a, it was a town about 9,500, 10,000 people. It was a Catholic town. 80% were Catholics. And in 68, and our house was right there. In fact, we had to move our house. We had to actually move someplace because they were taking over this whole block, the Catholics, and, and we're building a new church. And it was a big, nice new church. And and, and, and so the church held a thousand people. I mean, and I, and I remember, you know, they had the guitar mass on Saturday at five, they had a mass six o'clock, eight o'clock, 10 o'clock, 12 noon on Sunday, and it was filled. I mean, the 10 and 12 were filled. I, that's what mass I usually went to. I mean, so, so if I think about the town of nine, 10,000 people, there had to been, I would say, around a third of the people, if not more than that, came to that church on Sunday morning. I still have this vividly in my mind. You know, walk out, we sat more in the back of the church, but you walk out at the end, and everybody just sort of walking out, not staying, and saying hi, how's it going, nice weather, what are you doing today, or something. It's real simple, you know what I'm saying. And the verse in Luke 8, 15, 15, maybe it's 14, says, and as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. They're choked. They go on their way. The people just go on their way. But so many people are like this. They think, hey, things are fine. I go to my church here on Sunday morning. It's not fine. It's not good. Back to John 8, 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So the son in this analogy has been set free from sin, has been set free, um, again, from a sin. He's been saved from sin. He's one who's born again. He's one who's a believer in Christ. He's one then who's a member of God's household. The one, the slave then, is one who is not saved. He is not a member of the household of God. And so Jesus was saying that a person can think that he is saved, that he is righteous, when he's in fact not. Only the son, only the one who's been born again, only the one who's been set free from his sin, only that person then is really, really free. And it's important as we talk about this because we live in this, this culture here, the United States. We have a, about four weeks from today, I guess. Um, not four weeks from today, but about a month from now, we have July 4th, you know, freedom, freedom. And, 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 and the whole concept of freedom, we're talking about the Bible, is completely different than the freedom we talk about in our country here. And there's some people and even a lot of Christians who are a little upset, man, they're taking my freedoms away. I get whether it's the freedom, you know, the, the right to bear arms or, you know, whether it's the right to speech or the right to assembly. You know, we got this life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We got the Bill of Rights, all kinds of things, you know. And it's, it's a, we've been in a good country in general, I would say that. But, you know, people, man, our freedoms are coming after our freedoms, and we blow this thing up way too much. That's not the main point. It's nice that we're here. And I think as time goes on, more and more our freedoms will be eroded. I believe that's happened. It's pretty obvious. We're seeing what's going on here. 
But we have to come back. This freedom we're talking about here is what's important. Are you free from sin? That's, that's where we're at here. And, and so many people are slaves to sin. It, it's like being in a jail. You're locked up, and who's got the key? The devil's got the key, okay? That's what we're saying here. It's like being straight-jacketed or having you know, shackles on you, or your feet or your hands, whatever. That, that's a problem, spiritually speaking. You think about this. You think about believers and unbelievers. You have believers who are set free from sin. And you have unbelievers they are chained to their sin. They're chained. They're addicted. They're, they're, sin's their master. We have to see it that way. There's not some nice little sun set you free. It's a huge point, important point, and, and for us to see. And that's why even in our country, we have the promotion of these other types of freedoms, which, again, that's, that's good. That's good. I'm glad to be here. But what God here is promoting the freedom from sin, and that's the key. Always remember this, especially, again, in this culture, probably more than any other country in the, in the world, in the world where we have been based on this declaration, you know, independence, you know, declaration of freedom from King George, and et cetera, et cetera. Okay, that's fine. That's nice that it happened. But we have to come back to this freedom from sin. This is key. And so as, as, as we, we go on our way today, you've got to think about this. this. I'm free from sin. And, and, of course, all of us, none of us here being perfect as Christians, all have some little things that sort of bother us or hang on to us or we can be slightly, I'll say slightly addicted to it, okay? But not slaves to sin, you know, in terms of the, the unbelievers. So it's important that we think rightly. John eight thirty six. The Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. It's by the Son, it's by Christ that we're set free. We all know the story. Jesus Christ died for our sins, he paid for our sins, and all then who believe in him then are free from their sins. They're declared righteous, they're forgiven, they're holy in God's sight. And verse 32 says, the truth sets you free. And in and, and John, four, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. So you have the truth of God's word, you have the truth embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, and it's sort of it's both are right. The truth of God's word, the truth of Christ. And the, and the truth sets you free. The truth of God's word, the Son sets you free. He died for us. He paid for your sins. You believe in him, then you're one who is set free from your sins. That's what he wants you to know. And so a person then, you think about this, is either a slave to sin or a slave to God. That's it. And oftentimes as, as, as Christians, we, we can have this thought. Again, I, I think the, the culture, in our country's culture, the thoughts about freedom have affected us in a wrong way. I'm free to do whatever I want as a Christian. No, no. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. Think that way. Think that way, a slave to God. Romans 6, I'm just going to read these verses. You can follow me along. Romans 6, 12 to 18 talks about this. And, and Romans 6 is probably, and I probably should go over it sometime, it's probably the single best chapter in the Bible on how we can be transformed, how we can grow, what the process, the means by which that can happen. Romans 6, 12 to 18 says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. He's talking about a Christian. Okay, you're saved, you're free. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And the simple, simplest application of that is as you go through the day, as you go through your life, you get up in the morning and say, Lord, here I am, I'm yours today. You use me however you would wish. That song we sang is perfect for this. Take my life. You take it. 
you take it. It's yours. Let it be. And all those different verses, they're just, it's wonderful. In fact, that, that's a good song to have printed out and put on your desk someplace, just to go over that on a regular basis. So you get up and you say, Lord, here I am. It says, verse 14, Sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Well, I said you're slaves of sin or slaves to God. Here, you know, corollary, if you're a slave to God, then you're a slave to righteousness, to doing what is right. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness great truth. Again, I'm just going over that briefly, but it gives the, the picture. John 8, 37, the final verse, and we're finished for the day in this section. It says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. And um, i trying to think where it's at. It's later on. Well, I'll just mention here. It's later on. We'll go over it later. He goes on to talk to him. This says, hey, you, 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 you sinners here are children of the devil. And again, it goes along with this analogy. We're either slaves of God or we're slaves of sin. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. Strong language he uses. I mean, this is some of the strongest language he ever uses with these people who aren't saved. To call somebody a child of the devil, I mean, that's... But the point is, is, there's truth there. And, and the good thing, and I want to read just close with this one verse here, and this relates to us as Christians. I think we have a, a song like this. I can't remember. First John 3, 1. See how great the love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. So we're not just called we are children of God. That's, that's such a fantastic truth. That's such a wonderful truth to know that we are not children of the devil, but rather by God's grace and mercy, children of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time you've given us together. Lord, thank you for your word, your truth. Lord, we pray that in our whole lives, our beings, our spirits, our, our speech, our conduct, that more and more we're ones who are practicing these truths. Lord, we're ones who are set free from sin. Lord, are living righteously. See ourselves, Lord, as slaves of God, ones who are on the altar, sacrificing our life for you. So it says in Luke, take up your cross daily and, and, and follow me. Deny yourself, it says. And I know there's many times I'm going through the day and I'm, I deny yourself, Steve. I says, okay. I, I don't rather not do that, but don't go by my flesh. I go by what you want, God. That's the right thing to do. So help us here, Fathers, as a church to grow and even this uh, comprehension of freedoms in this country. Don't let us get astray and, and be more concerned about these freedoms, these Bill of Rights or whatever it is, uh, these amendments, and more concerned about being free from sin. That's where it's really at. That's what's most important. But thank you again for each one here, those who couldn't be here, those who are listening online or those who are watching, Lord. We just want to pray for all of them, Lord, and all of us here that you lead us, guide us, protect us, Father. We need your protection. We are in a world of sin, world of evil. It says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Lord, help us to be careful as we walk. Be careful and um, put on the full armor of God. Thank you again for each one here. Use this, God, as you would for your purposes and for the gospel to pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we're going to have our communion time.
the singers can come up. Stand with us for our communion song, if you would. Um, the Bible says we are servants, we are slaves of Jesus Christ, and that makes him our Lord and Master. And this is a song about glorifying the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. <coughs> We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords, who is the great I Am. Lord Jehovah reigns in majesty. We will bow before His throne. We will worship Him in righteousness. We will worship Him alone. He is Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. He is Lord of all who live. He is Lord above the universe. All praise to Him we give. as we are gathered here for our whole service, our communion time too, to know that, that God the Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit all have their eyes on us and on you. Isn't that something? Their eyes are on you. They're not just, oh, hey, think about something. That is true, and that's a wonderful truth to know that they, God, them, they love you and are committed to you and are here with us through the Spirit. If you want, turn to Hebrews chapter 2. I just want to go over some verses very quickly that relate to the Lord Jesus, what he did for us. Hebrews chapter 2, the last part of the chapter. There's a lot here, but I just want to mention a few thoughts. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. And so much of the book of Hebrews is about Jesus and him being the priest and being our Savior. Verse 14, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. That means Jesus is human, okay? He's God, but he's also human in the flesh, which is, again, that's, that's one of the themes of this section is he is like us. He partook of the same. 
that through death he might render powerless him who has the power, had the power of death, that is the devil. So by what Christ did, he defeated the devil. He rendered him powerless. So the devil now, you're a believer in Christ, has no power over you. None. That's, that's the truth. It's through death. Through his death, he defeated the devil. Verse 15, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their times. He's, it's a big aspect of, of slavery here. We talk about slavery in our message. But some people are really slave to that whole fear of death. And, and you might know some people like this. They're really just afraid to die. A lot of people aren't, which I think everybody who's not saved should be afraid to die. I mean, really afraid to die because, hey, if they're on the wrong side, it's not going to be good. But, but he says, says he can free us from that. We're freed from, you know, I mean, for me, I, you know, it's the Philippians 121. To live as Christ, to die is again. Man, I, I, I would love to die. I'd love to die. As, as, and that's what Paul was saying there too. But I'm going to remain on, you know, for your sake, okay? That's, that's how life is. If it was up for me, I'd want to go to heaven. But for all of us, we're here for others. That's, that's what he's saying. So he frees us then from that fear of death. Verse 16, for surely, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. His focus is not on the angels. They don't need help. They're fine. They're perfect. They're glorified, you know. But we need help. And so he helps us. Jesus helps us. He helps that real general word, but he gives help to us. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest and things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. A lot there, just to sum it up quickly. And, and it's, hard to, it's hard to know all that it means, but I think it means all that it says. We had to be made like us. And so you think about your lives, and there's troubles, and there's struggles, and there's temptations, and there's difficulties, and you get tired, and you get weak, and all that stuff happened to Jesus, okay? All of it. He was like us, and sometimes we can think, I'm all alone, and nobody else is going through stuff. I'm going. Jesus went through it. And so he was made like you. Um, then it relates to him then dying for you. So that it says he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. That is, Jesus is a priest, and he basically offered sacrifices that he offered himself for us. That's what a priest does. He offers sacrifices to God on behalf of others, and basically to show us mercy. Faithful means this mercy continues. It's not just a one-time thing, but it's an eternal thing. And it says things pertaining to God. The whole issue relates to the fact that as people, we've sinned against God, and Jesus takes care of that sin problem. He says make propitiation for the sins of the people. That propitiation is a word that means God's satisfied. It's an atonement. God is completely and perfectly and eternally satisfied by what Jesus Christ did for us. He himself was tempted in all that which he has suffered. He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted against, sort of specifying, being specific about what he has said before. But we're all tempted. We all, you know, life is not easy with the devil and coming after us, the spiritual warfare. But he can come to the aid, which is, again, a good promise that we live in this spiritual world and it's difficult at times, but he can come to your aid, he can help you. So just great verses about the Lord our Savior and what he did for us to set us free from any fears and to realize that he can help us. He's one who's merciful, one who's faithful, he's one who's always with us forever and ever. At this time we want to just take a minute to have a silent prayer. Each of you pray. We want our hearts to be right and clean. That verse I mentioned many times, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my anxious thoughts. And so the point is we just pray, God, may I want my heart to be right, and so we're just gonna take a minute or two and, and uh, be right before the Lord.
Father, we just thank you again for this time, and even as we're praying, we aware, Lord, that we've sinned in certain ways, certain things said or done, whatever. But we're thankful. We're so thankful that we're forgiven, that every everything, little, big, whatever it might be, Lord, is, is was taken by you, Lord. You paid for it on the cross, and we're, we're forgiven. We're free from that. So we just bless you for that, Lord. Thank you so much for the forgiveness that we had have from you because of your great love for us and because you loved us lord jesus uh, you died for us we thank you for that forgiven and 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 we do this lord knowing that someday we'll be with you and be completely free from any effects of sin at all that's a wonderful truth a glorious thought but thank you again now for this time we have to remember you we pray this in jesus name amen you all have your little cups here i believe First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, again, we thank you so much for this time. I just would pray, help us, Lord, to be remembering you throughout the month. It's not just a matter of a once-a-month thing, <laughs> far from that. But, Lord, that we on a daily basis remember you and thanking you and, and praising you and blessing you for you, Lord Jesus, dying for us, rising again from the dead, now seated in the heavens and being, being one who prays for us and is watching over us and protecting us, being our good shepherd. We thank you for that. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Activity-wise, we have coming up our Wednesday Bible study time. If you're able to come out this Wednesday, the 8th, 645, um, good opportunity to learn God's Word and meditate on God's Word, as Steve was preaching. Um, and this Saturday, we will have uh, Gene Loxton's memorial service. That'll be at 4 p.m. here, so if you... Um, are planning on coming to that. Uh, there will be a meal provided afterwards by Gene's uh, family. They're having that catered. But we do need um, volunteers if you're able to help out. We'll need volunteers for setup and cleanup, um, volunteers to make or bring desserts, um, and then uh, someone to receive the food from the caterers when they bring it at 3.30 and put it into the ovens uh, to be ready for after the uh, service. So a few different uh, ways for you to serve if you're available. Um, if you could just let uh, Steve know, uh, that would be good. Um, so that'll be this Saturday, so coming up quick. 
um, 4 p.m. for Jean's service. And now we have our last uh, song and the offering. You can put it in the box on the back table, uh, give online, or mail it into the church. So thank you. Okay, you get to stand one more time. In the uh, Bible times, the Jews used to take pilgrimages to Jerusalem from all over the country. They would come to be a part of special feasts and to come to the temple and to be in God's presence and to worship. And as Christians... Uh, we're on a pilgrimage as well, this life. We live our life. Uh, we continue to march towards God's kingdom. Um, one day Jesus is going to come back and rule and reign in, on Jerusalem, and I guess we can all march to Zion then. I guess this is symbolic of us as Christians marching to one day be in God's presence and living with him. We're marching to Zion. Come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord. Join in a song with sweet accord. And thus surround the throne. And thus surround the throne. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Let those we refuse to sing who never knew our God. But children of the heavenly King, but children of the heavenly King, may speak their joys of God, may speak their joys of God. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion, we're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. The hill of Zion gives a thousand sacred sweets. Before we reach the heavenly fields, before we reach the heavenly fields, or walk the golden streets, or walk the golden streets. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching up to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Then let our songs abound and every tear be dry. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground to fairer worlds and I to fairer worlds and we're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching up to Zion, the beautiful city of God.
benediction from Psalm 145 says, I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I'll bless your name forever and ever. Amen. 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 Amen.